We're going to be taking communion together this evening, and so I wanted to devote our time to a discussion of communion. And uh, what some thoughts occurred to me this past week about this, this celebration, and that's really what I think Jesus meant for it to be, a celebration, and uh, in, in a try to liken it to a number of figures that we can relate to very easily in our own temporal life. There's three things I thought were significant and that we do, we do celebrate and can relate back to the communion meal. And uh, the first one is uh, a family meal, huh? Just a family meal, when family gathers. Uh, and of course, in our day and age, there's a, there's a lot of distractions and people going here and there, and uh, it's not easy as it was in years gone past when families can actually gather together regularly around the, the dinner table and have a meal together. Many times the TV's on or the kids are off playing sports or doing things or someone's late, and, and especially if you have a large family. And, and especially today with, uh, with the... Um, families being kind of fractured in extended families and relatives in different parts of the country and uh, lots of people moving from other parts of the country to Southern California and uh, their families are back east or in the Midwest someplace and they don't really have their family here, a lot of single folks. Uh, so this idea of, um, of a family meal I think is, is very appealing and uh, how communion really is and can be uh, and ought to be certainly a family meal for us. Then there was another picture, another metaphor that uh, I thought about, and that is the idea of an, of an anniversary celebration. Anniversaries are very special. They're celebrations of a special day or a, a point in our life and our experience. Birthdays are, are anniversaries and uh, wedding anniversaries and so forth. These are very, very special events, and they point back to something that we don't want to forget, we want to remember, and so year after year we celebrate. And the, and the same idea is is the communion uh, time, the communion meal is is a celebration. It's an anniversary celebration, if you will. And then the third figure was, and I can relate to this because this this my wife is big on pictures and albums and those kinds of things, and especially this weekend when we have the family album out. Is, uh, is just that very thing, that very idea of, a, of an album of memories. And the communion meal, again, is a, is a, uh, a time of remembering. And, and just as you have in an old family album, you have mementos of past events and past remembrances. And those mementos bring back to your mind memories. And, of course, we know that Jesus left us two mementos to remember him by the the uh, bread and the wine. So I want us to be thinking, and, I, and then as we, uh, I want to share some scriptures with you, and, and if you have your Bible, I want you to open your Bible to the passages that are listed in your notes. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to be up, being scrolled on the screens for you, but I, I, I don't want you to not look at your Bible if you have your Bible, because there may be passages there as we read through them that you may want to underline, you may want to, may speak to you in a very special way with respect to communion as we are going to take it in just a little while. And then, 
I want us to, as we're, as we're looking through those scriptures, to just reflect on the importance of family, and especially the, 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 the family of the church, and the remembrance of Jesus, and the celebration of what he has done for us individually in terms of his death on that cross, so that we might be free. And as we re recollect these things, as we think on these things, then we're going to take a little time for, uh, for some people to share, share some testimonies, and uh, just what God may be speaking to you tonight through the scriptures, through communion, uh, how, he's, how he's ministered to you so very specially in your own life um, as a Christian. So, and then we'll take communion together. I, I mean for it to be a family affair. I mean for us to celebrate the family I mean for us to draw close together and, uh, and remember Jesus in a very special way and look at this event as from these different perspectives. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew. The first scripture we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 26. And this is Matthew's record of indeed the Last Supper, beginning at verse 17. And again, this, this passage carries with it a, a sense of the family meal because here is Jesus with his disciples gathering and they're going to celebrate, they're going to have this anniversary meal of the Passover. But it's also a family meal. It carries with it remembrances, memories, obviously, of the past, but it also points toward the future. So all of the things that we've, we've described we'll see contained in this particular passage. Verse 17 of Matthew chapter 26, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now this, again, I, I just want to refer back to coming up on the 22nd. We will be, in effect, having a Passover meal and celebrating that wonderful event, but also contained within that meal and within that event are the, are the picture of the future salvation through Jesus. Jesus replied, Go into the city to a certain man. Tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit from the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Now notice verse, th- verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Can you imagine being in that group and hearing Jesus sing? Think about that. You know, the Bible says that where two or more are gathered, he is in our presence. He's in our midst. He's with us. And when we sing, he's singing with us. Wouldn't it be nice to hear his voice? Now, that's Matthew's account. Now, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. A little further on in the New Testament. Acts, chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. Now this is the first century church. Of course, Jesus has died, been resurrected, has ascended to heaven, commissioned his disciples. The church now is growing in Jerusalem. And this is Luke's account. It's a, it's a snapshot of that early church, and yet contained in these verses is Uh, much insight into the life of that church. They devoted themselves, verse 42, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the fellowship. And what was the third thing they were devoted to? The breaking of bread. The breaking of bread described having meals in their homes, eating together, but also described taking communion together, celebrating the Lord's Supper, if you will. So this was a very, very integral part of that early church in how they conducted church. They attended to the Word of God. They were devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And lastly, to prayer. These were significant elements. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were what? They were together. You see this picture? They were, they were devoted. They were, they were family. They were together. They had everything in common. He goes on and says, that selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here was a community of people that were unlike any other community. They were experiencing family, fellowship, community, and the the wonders and things that were going on in their midst were a tremendous attraction to all those people around them who yet were not uh, saved, were not born again. And the Lord was just drawing people, drawing people by what was happening in this community, in this church. People's lives were being changed. But the context is what? It's family. And one of those elements was this family meal, the breaking of bread, the sharing of the Lord's Supper. Another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, further along in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Again, we see the same idea reflected in this passage here. Paul writes, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? 
And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Again, this picture of being one, of being a family, being one body, of the unity of the body. Constant, constant picture to us. Now, just one page over in chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Many of you are aware that the Corinthian church had its problems. And uh, one of the problems was how they conducted their love feasts, how they conducted uh, the sharing of these meals, the breaking of bread. And there were some real divisions in that church. And so Paul now addresses those divisions and corrects them in how they should take communion, how they should break bread together. So in chapter 11, beginning of verse 17, he says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. He says, I I understand how there can be divisions among you guys, these Corinthians. He says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. He says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this cup and drink this, or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This should be a very, very significant event. And yet these Corinthians. Uh, they, were, they were completely disregarding one another, completely disregarding what communion represented. They were completely disregarding this whole concept of family, of the unity that God uh, had called us to, and Paul is upbraiding them for it. Now he goes on and he says, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is a serious thing. This is not some casual uh, event that we're participating. They'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And that means a number of people have died in the church. So apparently, this is a very, very significant thing in God's mind, in God's eyes, the communion meal. And these people were uh, treating it as if it were just a very common, common variety meal, and uh, it was just a party for them, uh, and there was no respect and no mutual love and caring going on. So he goes on, he says, But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be condemned with the world. 
So we see, uh, again, this whole idea when the, when the Apostle Paul speaks to the Corinthians, he calls them to unity. He calls them to love. He calls them to a family fellowship and a family meal where there's mutual caring and support and love for one another. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. A little further on there in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Now in this context, the Apostle Paul is speaking about how Christ takes two groups of people who are at animosity, they're at odds with one another, the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews looked on the Gentiles as being dogs. And you can think that the Gentiles did not take kindly to being thought of as dogs. So they reciprocated by hating the Jews. Nothing has changed much, has it, in society in 2,000 years. But Jesus is one who takes these two desperate peoples and makes them into one, makes them Christians. They're no longer Gentile. They're no longer Jew. They've lost those prejudices. They've lost that identity, and they have a brand new identity in Christ. Now look at look how he brings them together in this particular passage. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. Now he's, he's talking to these Ephesians who are Gentiles. He says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, those who were the Jews who were near. And he goes on and he says, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's what? God's household. So again, you see this this reconciling around the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. When people come, no matter how disparate your, your, your lives have been and your situations have been, when you come to the cross of Christ, a husband, a wife... Relatives who've been at odds, neighbors who've been at odds, uh, ethnic groups who've been at odds and carried tremendous prejudices and biases. When they both come to the cross of Christ and they both kneel there together, there's reconciliation, there's healing. No longer am I thus and such, no longer am I thus and such, I'm a new creature. But see, what's the centrality? It's the centrality of the cross. That's the reconciling point for a person's life. Families are being reconciled. I, I have th- this one set of neighbors. Their family, was they were just torn apart, torn apart. And you should have seen it. T- those of you maybe who were here on the, the, the baptism uh, Easter Sunday night, uh, the dad got up and was sharing his testimony. The two daughters who were going to be baptized rushed up and hugged him. They were all crying. The wife was out there with a video camera taping them. <laughs> this family that was, that was torn apart, God had miraculously brought together. And what was the centerpiece of that? The cross. And what do we celebrate in communion? We celebrate the death of our Lord. The cross. 
Beautiful, isn't it, how God works in all of us. If you're a true Christian, you've been reconciled to God through the cross. There's a great celebration, each of us individually and as well as a family, God's family, the church. The last passage I want you to look at is in my favorite book, Hebrews. (laughs) You knew I'd get Hebrews in, didn't you? Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11. And again, these this, the, the same pictures uh, we see in this passage also. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The writer of Hebrews says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation. Who is the author of our salvation? Jesus should make the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same, what? Family. Isn't that great? Isn't that beautiful? We're of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed. We're we're part of the family. He is our, if I can say this, our big brother. He's our big brother, and he's not ashamed us to call us his family. So I want, to re- I want to suggest to you that communion, communion is really when God's family gathers together, when God's family celebrates. When God's family celebrates, we celebrate being part of his family. We celebrate what he's done for us individually and corporately. We remember him. Jesus intended, I think, that his spiritual family celebrate his meal with all the fellowship of a family meal. All the fellowship. What goes on at a family meal? I mean, everybody's talking. My wife tells me of, of when she grew up around their, around their family dinner table, it was just everybody. Everybody was talking. Yep, 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 yep. If you know my wife's family, you can understand how everybody would talk. They are just marvelous talkers. Great communicators. They love to talk. And, you know, that's a sign, by the way, that's a sign of a healthy family. Did you know that? That's a sign of a healthy family when everyone can talk. People can cut one another off. They can all jump in. They can say their point of view. And everybody's permeable. That's a healthy family. That ought to be the church, huh? When we're all open and permeable to each other and we're all able to share. And, and, and God gives us avenues for that. We have one wonderful avenue where that goes on in our church. Where is that? Mini church, right? That's, those, that's, when the, that's when the family breaks down the family units and, and meets and talks and shares and encourages. Around the world, in every culture, it's the meal. It's the meal. No matter what culture, around the world, it's the meal that establishes fellowship. It's the meal that establishes common life. We are a family. When they gather around that dinner table, no matter care where it is. To eat together is to be one. And again, I think in our, in our society, it's a battle to eat together. It's a battle to get everybody together. It's a battle to turn off the TV. It's a battle to, to spend time around that table together. This is it's so wonderful when we have um, um, like, like Christmas dinner and Easter dinner and and Thanksgiving, and when family can gather together 
and everybody. We, we always invite people over to our house for, for those dinners. And uh, over Easter, we always have people over. And it's just wonderful. I mean, I'm exhausted because it's a long day for me. But, but just have everybody there talking and sharing. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. My wife takes pictures, drives me crazy with her camera. <laughs> sharing a meal. As a spiritual family, that's what communion is, sharing a meal as a spiritual family. It reaffirms a number of things. First of all, it reaffirms for us our fellowship. It reaffirms our commonness together. We have things in common. It reaffirms our unity in Christ. When we come together to take communion, just the very act of doing that reaffirms those things that speak of family, unity, commonness, that we are a fellowship Communion pulls us together. And communion says, we are family. We are family. Think about that. Every time we take communion, and I stand before you, and I look out over the congregation, every service, I think, God, you're, you're amazing. We are family. How you brought people, all sorts of people, different colors, different sizes, different backgrounds, everything. And you've made us one family here. And we see that when we take communion together. And we're all focused, we're all centered on Christ and what he's done for us. We're a family, we share a common Savior, we share a common salvation, and we share a common purpose to bring him glory. Yet you just see all of us drawn together. You've got a crazy week. You've got all sorts of life circumstances, things tearing away at you, threatening you. But we come together, we gather at the table together, and we have a common purpose. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Glorify his name. Praise his name. It's also a renewal of an anniversary celebration. The anniversary celebration that we, we started off with certainly is the Passover that unique historical act and covenant that God made with his people Israel. But communion is the anniversary celebration of the new covenant, not the old covenant. We're celebrating that event that Jesus initiated the night before he died. It's in effect the, the, the party that we're encouraged to throw whenever we desire to commemorate the new and eternal promise of God to man that's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 31. Look at these words in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is, this is God's promise to the church. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. He says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Is that not a great promise? Is that not a great promise? And so communion. God made that promise to all who would believe. One day I'm going to do a great and mighty work in people's lives. And that promise comes now with the new covenant. Jesus institutes a new covenant. And with that great covenant, we celebrate it. It's an anniversary. This meal is an anniversary meal to celebrate that momentous event when Jesus instituted the new covenant for us. 
And we also have the memories of an old family album. Memories. Mementos. What kind of memories do we have of Jesus? If you're new to Christ, your memories may be just extending back just, just a short time when you gave your life to him, when you, when you surrendered, when you said, Jesus, save me, when you recognized that you needed him in your life. Others of us have walked with the Lord much longer, and we have, uh, we have many, many more memories of what God has done. But the greatest memory is what he did at that cross, how he opened the way to life. If we could just grasp, just get our minds around the awesomeness of that event when Jesus died, when he carried my sin and your sin, my guilt on your, and your guilt, when he who knew no sin became sin for our sakes, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's just, that's just too much. That's too much. But that's exactly what he did. Who of us, who would us, would, would turn over our most prized possession, our one and only most beloved son, would submit that son to horrendous torture and death for our enemies? Who of us would do it? Who of us would step forward and be the first ones to do it? Not I. I wish I said I, uh, I could say I had that kind of love. I don't have that kind of love, but God does. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So when we take communion, it's like opening up an album. It's like opening up a family album in which are held very precious mementos. And the mementos that we have that Jesus left us are the bread and the wine and mementos always evoke memories, don't they? Memories, memories of, whoa, what I was and what I am. What he saved me from and the great hope that I have. Where would I be today if Jesus hadn't reached into my life and grabbed my heart, squeezed it real hard, and saved me? Where would I be today? Oh, how glad I am for what I went through back then, 20 plus years ago now, so that I could be a Christian. Memories. When I contemplate that, that piece of matzah, when I contemplate that little cup of grape juice, and I remember Jesus' body and blood, that he purchased me with his life out of the slave market of sin, that I could be free and I could have eternal life. Too much, too much, too much. Are we glad? Who would like to share? Who would like to share some, some thought, some remembrance, some testimony of God's grace? Oh, I know, I know. Scott and Patty Shire shared with me at the top of the stairs. Those of you who don't know, these are the Shires of the Shire quintuplets. They've been on every TV show in the world, right? They're, they're movie stars. They've been in all the magazines. But you know what? In, the, just what God, God, has, God has cared for them and how he continues to care for them because they are his own. 
is so special. And so I want, I want you guys to just come on, just share quickly the, the, what you shared with me at the top of the stairs coming in this evening. You have to talk into my shirt. Talk into my shirt. <laughs> you talk into my yep. shirt. Stand both sides. Okay. Um, first of all, just a quick background. From, from a world standpoint, this shouldn't be happening way back from the beginning because from a world standpoint, we should have boarded two of the five children and only had twins or triplets because it wasn't reasonable to do beyond that. But Patty especially had conviction that she could trust her body with God that, and leave it up to him to carry those five children to a healthy pregnancy, which we, we knew we didn't have to do that. We were just praying he would, and whatever he gave us, we would be thankful for. And he chose to give us five beautiful, healthy babies. Amen. Amen. And also from a world standpoint, they would have said, you you obviously aren't prepared to raise these either. I mean, how can you do that? I mean, if Patty's going to quit her job to be a full-time mother with them, and I'm just starting off um, or just a year into a financial practice, and you can't do that. But we say, but that's the right thing to do, it, and so we're going to do that and trust God. And we've been blessed with so many people helping us through all this time. And going along with that same vein and, and give, being given many opportunities to share the testimony of what God has done and what the, the body of Christ has done, in this, what we consider to be just an incredible miracle this whole past two years, really. Um, one thing that people would always say is, well, you, you obviously can't raise them in your small little two-bedroom, one-bath house. That just, you know, when are you moving or what are you going to do? You can't do that. I said, and I initially thought, gee, are they right? We can't do this. <laughs> and Patty, again, was just wonderful because I was concerned about her because she's home all that time and, you know, claustrophobia setting in. And... Um, Kelly Maeda, she organized 100 volunteers that um, were coming in. You know, it was a revolving door into our little place. And uh, Patty said, no, uh, this, is, this is our home, and um, of course we can raise them, you know, in here. And she was totally content with that. And that was such a wonderful feeling, um, knowing that we were content there and that we knew we could trust God through that. And I, Pat Robinson had a, a recent thing, but anyhow, that made me think that, when you are fully content with what God's given you, it seems like that's then when he chooses to give you much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he just did this past week when one of the shows that we've been on, a home and family show, and been given many opportunities to share our t- testimony on there, um, we were just wondering, gee, we've been on here a whole year. Why are we doing this anymore? Maybe we, you know, and we, we asked him, you know, this is probably the end of it after the year, and said, no, 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 um, keep coming. I said, Okay. <laughs> And then this past week, they announced on there that as part of their show, they want to add on two bedrooms and a bath to our house. Is God going to provide? That's wonderful. Do you want to share? (laughs) Um, We're just um, so thankful. This whole thing has really humbled us in terms of um, just knowing from the very beginning we couldn't do this by ourselves, that we totally had to trust the Lord. We had to rely, you know, Um, as Scarlett O'Hara said, on the kindness of strangers. (laughs) So, um, you know, and and we have, and those strangers have become um, good friends, and and our family, because Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Scott and I are both only our our parents live in the area. So um, we're just, we're so grateful to um, our family here at Hope that has given us um, so much love and support and so many prayers, and um, we're just... um, so thankful. It's just such an awesome thing that, that they're, they're planning on doing this for us. And um, we're, 
just we were again humbled and so Odd. grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Two big bedrooms and a big bathroom. <laughs> 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 Hallelujah. That's wonderful. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. Purely coincidental, right? No, of course not coincidental. I mean, you know, you could you could be a very cynical individual and say, well, yeah, of course, but that and that. And, but, you know, we look with different eyes, don't we? We look with spiritual eyes, and we see the hand of God moving and blessing and directing, and people are learning to trust Him, learning to wait on Him. And He's promised, He's promised to meet all of our needs if we'll trust Him. He's promised to direct our steps. But it all starts with what? It all starts with coming to the cross, doesn't it? All starts with laying it down at the cross, laying our life down, laying our, our goals and all that at the cross and saying, Lord Jesus, you be Lord in my life. You save me. And again, we're, we're remembering him tonight. Who else has a testimony? Who wants to share what God's doing? Surely there are some people. Michael and Marcel, Okay. Do I, do I have the other mic? Oh, hey, I've got a mic up here, don't I? It gets a little close when people start talking into your shirt there. <laughs> got them on both sides. Hi there. Um, we'd just like to share for a moment about... Um, well, I'm going to share first on what tremendous joy the Lord brings us, and then Marcel's going to share a little bit about how he brings us through tribulation. Um, going back about two years ago... Um, our son and I started talking about, you know, what, you know, the future, what God would have plans for us, and we started talking about what if He called us into ministry. So we started, you know, we didn't know what He had in mind, but we started doing things that He might want. We we um, became under shepherds in the main church, um, then we became uh, main church shepherds. Um, this last uh, six months, we've been working in the children's church, you know, trying to learn different aspects of the church and how we can help out and where our gifts lie. About a year ago. I felt like God might be calling me into the ministry, and we were struggling a little bit financially. We wanted Marcel to stay home with our child, and so I was praying to God, and I said, God, I'm a salesman. I said, God, rather than me always looking for new business, I go, why don't you just bring me some business, and we'll work really hard for the next five years. We'll save a bunch of money, and we'll quit, and we'll go into full-time ministry. This was on well, a Wednesday. That's, that's, that's the way we figure out how to do it. <laughs> the very next day, um, I landed this huge account, that happened within a week, which is incredible. It tripled my income. Marcel and I are just, like I said, we're banking money. We're just, we're just, we're planning now. We know we're that tithing. We're, we're, we have been we, tithing. We have, we have Tri- been tithing. Triple tithing. Triple their tithing. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's just been awesome. It's just been an incredible ride. I mean, God is just, His faithfulness is just unbelievable, just incredible. And uh, we're just doing incredible things in ministry right now. There's a lot of, just a lot of great things happening. And he, we just, we trust him, I mean, with everything. We know that I'm 40 now, when I turn 45, that we're basically going to, we're going to stop and we're going to, you know, see what God has in, in mind for us. But um, in the meantime, there's also, you know, trials that we go through. And the Lord keeps us on even keel and he, he brings us through these things. That's what Marcel's going to share about. Well, we've both been feeling like, and we, we shared this with each other last week, we've been living these, we feel like we're more secular than we should be. We feel like we're not living the vibrant vibrant Christian life that we should be in so we, we just turned to the Lord and said okay here we are and help us out uh, and uh, 
very shortly after that, we got some wonderful words through the Growing Kids God's Way ministry. Um, we had a potluck Monday night. Steve Maynard shared some wonderful things, and that was great, reminding us how we're supposed to be tied in to the Lord, and, and he's the vine where the branches can't do anything without him. And uh, we had just had a, we planned on adding on to our family, we had just had a miscarriage in December, and we were so excited, and we've sh- shared with probably many of you here that we were expecting again. And most of you don't know that uh, Tuesday we found out it looks like we're having another miscarriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Tuesday night I was sinking into some depression, and the Lord just spoke to me, um, and he reminded me of a few scriptures. And they've just so ministered to us, and we're, we're just so grateful. He reminded me of uh, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, uh, I, I, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. And that reminded me, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be living this life anyway. I'm a vessel of His. That takes a lot of pain away. And He also reminded me of Colossians 3:1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, for you've died and your life is hid with Christ and God. And those babies are hid with Christ and God. And that's where we're supposed to be. And so I just wanted to share that with you all in hopes that whatever pain you're going through, whatever trials you're going through, you'll remember and you'll allow the Lord to work through you as his vessel and take a lot of that pain away for you and um, to move forward. And he's probably been lifting me up this week. I've just, I'm just kind of like, well, okay. These things happen, and let's move on, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Bless you guys. Now, it's been my experience that uh, generally you get to start the ministry bare bones poor. (laughs) That could still happen. (laughs) That could still happen. That's right. So rejoice while you got it, baby. I know you have some wonderful things God's doing in your life. Oh, boy. Come on, Tana. Oh, I don't know if Should. I can do this. No, you Tana. In God's strength, we can do all things, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I don't know what to, where to start. Um, Just whatever comes to mind. Okay, I have um, two daughters. They're both teens. And um, they came to know the Lord approximately the same time I did about four years ago. And initially... They were very much on fire with, for the Lord, and they were always bringing their unsafe friends into our home. And my daughters uh, have a tendency to always be drawn to the worldly element. And so the kids that uh, I've always had as part of my life are always very troubled kids from broken homes, uh, into drugs, and uh, just really struggling kids. And uh, God has just been so faithful in that almost every child that my daughters have had association with have come to know the Lord. And uh, partially through my older daughter, at first when she was first saved, praying with them, and then bringing them to me and saying, Mom, talk to them now, and I would talk to them. Well, 
uh, that happened for about a year, and now we've gone through a period where both my girls have really rejected the Lord and uh, aren't coming to church, but I can still see God working in their lives tremendously. Um, still, the kids that they're associating with are coming over to my house, and one by one, they're all getting saved. <laughs> and I just, you know, I think about how God uses um, circumstances and different people for different purposes. And I was saying, oh Lord, I don't want you to use my children to, um, I don't know what scripture I'm trying to think of, but it's where he has two um, purposes. One um, for is noble, for noble, noble use. use and one for profane use. Profane. Right. And so I, I just, you know, but I can see now, like God is gradually changing the hearts of my daughters. And I've recently experienced um, my oldest daughter. Uh, there's been different things happen in her life where she's come to me and asked me for prayer. And it was for two years I couldn't even pray with her. I would pray, you know, as they're leaving the car to go to school, I would pray, bless them today, Lord. And they would just, like, roll their eyes, oh, Mom, don't pray, you know. And every time I'd try and pray or speak to one of their friends, it was, they, had, they gave me a lot of rejection. And they would laugh and kind of mock me. And now I'm realizing that the more they bring their troubled friends to me, the more receptive they are for me to pray with them. And when there's a real serious trouble in their life, they'll bring a friend and say, you know, Mom, can you pray? And just, I thank the Lord for that. Because God's faithful, and uh, he won't let anything come out of his hand that he's put there. And I know that my daughters were saved. Mm -hmm. And I just trust God that there will be a time when they'll turn back to him. And I'm just so thankful. And uh, my daughter's been recently healed. She was in a car accident. She had an injury to her jaw. And I was able to say, you know, Chema, did you ever thank God for healing your jaw? And uh, I, I don't know that she ever did. But just the fact that I can bring those things to mind. And just the little things. Uh, the other day she was at school and she was in a lot of pain and she was crying. And I brought her home and I said, Chema, let me pray for you. And um, she allowed me to pray for her, and within 30 minutes, she was well. And I said, you need to thank God, because he's the one that healed you. And I think now, as I'm bolder in my witness to my kids, because I was very timid, and I would try to do ministry away from my kids, because I, I couldn't handle the, um, the mocking and, and just the condemnation. And now I realize I need to be bold in Christ, and no matter what, my home needs to be a home where we pray before our meals and, um, you know, try and get rid of the worldly influence. I don't, um, I don't watch TV, and I don't listen to secular radio, and um, my kids will still do that. And, and I just pray for the day when they will choose to have something else in their life. And they came with me to Sunday service and um, for Easter, which, you know, I thank the Lord for and I just know that, you know, for parents who are struggling with kids that don't seem to be walking, just be faithful to God. Just pray. And I've been getting up in the morning, and I didn't do this before, and I've been praying every morning. Um, and God has really started to work miracles in, in the hearts of my children. They're softening. And uh, I just praise the Lord for that. I just thank him every day.
and I know that he's faithful, and I, I have to be faithful, too. Amen. So. We encouraged by that testimony. Thank you. See, all this is family stuff, isn't it? So we say, what, what's been going on in your life today? Well, let me tell you what God's doing. You know, I went to the cross. I, I bowed my knee. I trusted Jesus. He's come into my life. And now, now miracles abound. And they continue to abound. And he continues to take us in places and in ways that you and I would never have thought or gone. And he gives us hope that we never, ever believed that we could have. Jesus. He's our big brother. He's our Savior. We have a common Savior. We have a common salvation. We have a common purpose. We gather together. We're family tonight as we take communion together. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the communion servers if you'll now prepare and serve the congregation communion. And if you are with us for the first time and you're a Christian, we invite you to take communion with us. The protocol is very simple. The trays will come down through the rows. The little trays of matzah will come first. Take a little piece of the matzah. The juice will come second. Take a little cup of juice. Hold on to them until the entire congregation is served. And in the intervening moments as you're waiting, use that time to recollect on your relationship with him, your relationship with the family, the new life he's given you, the new lifestyle he's given you, and indeed the new identity he's given you in Christ. And as you reflect on those things, the, the, any feelings of unworthiness, just know that we're all unworthy. That's why we need Jesus. If there's some sin in your life, say, God, help me to, to, to put this behind me. Help me to be more your man or your woman in this life. Help me to be more faithful to you. That's the prayer that he'll honor. He wants to do His will in our lives. He wants us to be open. If you're not sure about that, just say, Lord, help me to want to do Your will, and He'll help you. But nonetheless, we all take communion, and we remember the Lord Jesus. Okay, I'll be back in just a minute. We'll all take communion together.
we're family. We're family. They're great. Good to be part of the family. Jesus is real. He's alive. He's coming back one day to take his family home with him. It's like we're little kids and our our dad is on a long trip. And we're 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 missing him and we we're having troubles. But we've been reassured by mom that dad will be home soon. And there's a sense in your life as a child when dad gets home everything's going to be all right. He's coming. He's coming. But until he comes, we proclaim his death, as Paul says. We remind ourselves of where we've come from, who has saved us, what we've been saved to. It's a cause for great rejoicing. It's a cause for great celebration. The cracker, of course, represents his body that was broken for us. There isn't a single person on the face of this earth that doesn't need a Savior. We all need to be saved. But the tragedy is only some will hear, only some will listen. The cup represents his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death was sufficient for every person and for every sin, but it is efficient only for those who trust him, only for those who come and receive that free gift of life. The longer we walk with him, the sweeter our faith becomes and the sweeter that relationship becomes. It's like being married and and really loving your spouse and growing in love more and more with your spouse. And the longer you're with that person, the sweeter, the richer, the deeper, the, the more wonderful that relationship is. My wife and I have been married nearly 20 years, and I can say that's true about our marriage. We have our up and down, ups and downs just like everybody else but I wouldn't trade her for anybody. And she better not be willing to trade me for anybody either. (laughs) But just as our relationship is wonderful, our relationship with the Lord is wonderful. There's no one like him. There's no one who cares for us, no one who loves us, no one who provides for us as he does. He knows everything about us. And yet he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? We're thankful, aren't we? The scriptures say the night before he died, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. His words are recorded in John's gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the one who sustains life. You have life in me. The whole symbolism of the bread. So as we take this bread, 
we're making again a statement that we believe in him, we trust in him. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our life. Without him, we can do nothing. So I gladly eat the bread. If you believe in Jesus, take and eat. Lord, how wonderful it is to brag on you. How wonderful it is to be yours. Thank you for your great salvation. Thank you for your provision. Thank you that we matter to you. He took the cup and, again, having blessed it, we're told that he passed it around to his disciples and he described it as being the cup of the new covenant in his blood. A new covenant that was, that was sealed, that was confirmed, not in the blood of, of animal sacrifices, but in the blood of his own sacrifice. Eternal blood. Perfect blood. Blood that cleanses away all the iniquity and all the evil. Just like when we have an infection, it's important to get healthy blood to that infection to carry away all the, all the bacteria and all the broken down tissues and, and Jesus' blood is like that but it's perfect it carries away all the ugliness and all the, all the sin all the evil stuff and his blood is continuing to cleanse us continues to wash clean the wounds and the sores on our soul what a beautiful picture thank you Jesus Lord we praise your name tonight I love you and I thank you for being my God and my Savior. And again, Lord, I pray your will be done. Again, Lord, I reaffirm my confidence and my faith and my trust in you. I love you tonight. And I lift my cup in your name to Jesus. I'm glad I'm a Christian. Isn't it good to be part of the family tonight and celebrate? Let's stand together and let's celebrate being, being part of the family, being part of the body. We are joined by your love. We're baptized into one body. Help us see how we fit in, that we may glorify your holy name. I'm a part of this body may I be a servant in thee let me serve in my calling that the body may be strong through love and unity as one body joined by love 
Picture. I want everybody together. Raise your hands. 